Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Baked and Awake podcast. And if you're joining us today, um, well, whenever you're joining us, <laughs> uh, this is the first episode of the podcast for 2018. I'm recording on Sunday, January 7th, 2018, and uh, just wanted to take a moment to say holy moly, you guys. Um, we recorded 22 episodes in 2017, having started this little project back in late August, uh, almost September. Uh, and in that time, we've had well over 1,000 downloads, uh, closer to 1,500 in total. Um, the one-day record just back in December of 99 downloads, which is modest, but I was delighted to hit that milestone. And, uh, that was, as a matter of fact, with our very last episodes that came out, the uh, discussions on Mars Hill Church uh, episodes, uh, part one and two of that, were the ones that were responsible for that great day in downloads. And I want to thank everyone who participated in the Mars Hill episodes, uh, the discussion itself, Douglas, Adam, thank you both so much. Offline conversations from several friends who have reached out to me to let me know they listened to the episode and enjoyed it. Um, really appreciate that. Had a great time making that episode and definitely looking forward to even more uh, content like that in the future, for sure. Uh, so uh, if you haven't yet, you know, please do check those episodes out. It was an honor to uh, spend time, you know, with all of you not only on that episode everything that we did in the past season here uh all you know from the maury island incident to bruce and brandon lee's mysterious deaths to the fascinating story of mel's hole everything that we've covered uh back in 2017 it's just so much fun for me and an honor to spend this time each week working on the podcast for you folks um you know, we talk about a lot of stuff. We talk about things we aren't just curious about, but things that we're inspired to actively seek out and better understand. You know, um, maybe by doing so, we might feel and appreciate these sometimes esoteric topics more fully. You know, as our knowledge and comfort with them slowly grows. At its baseline, though, and for the purposes of this podcast, as far as a, a continuous and overriding theme, we'll devote ourselves here to this, the plant, okay? Uh, if you're still here with me by now, I'm going to go ahead and take it for a given that you care about the cannabis plant, too. It's a special gift. It's an embattled ally to millions. It's perhaps the single greatest panacea against general pain, mental and physical suffering, and indeed grave diseases to ever take the stage alongside we poor, fragile, fleshy humans in this short, brutally painful adventure that holds for each and every one of us but one possible conclusion. Is it such a wonder then that some folks in certain industries and the halls of power don't like it so much? Maybe not. But I digress. We have some goals to set for 2018. Call them resolutions, call them what you will. And I'm using the royal we, of course, right? Uh, but, you know, hey, it's me. Um, but, hey, perhaps these can be shared goals, okay? Let's see how we do. You you guys tell me. This is what, this is what I've got on my, on my radar for goals for 2018 for the podcast. Let's light this party joint. Let's light this fat, fat party joint that we got here from... I think I grabbed this down at Urban Bud in Tacoma, and this is a uh, 2.5-gram baseball bat of 9-pound hammer, and we're going to smoke this all by ourselves. I'm a one-man party. And this is a serious, serious 
podcast that we have to get through today with a lot of information to cover, and I'm going to need this baby, so let's get her going. And then we'll tell you our, our goals for the podcast for 2018. First one's simple. Record weekly, publish weekly, all year long. So try to get out 52 episodes at least. I'm hoping to do a little bit better than that and, you know, post a little extra, a little extra content here and there. Two a week's here and there. Two parters, you know. Next. We're going to visit as many shops, grows, kitchens, and labs here in the I-502 marketplace as possible. We're going to share them with you. I'm going to take photos when I go and shoot short videos where I go and, you know, post content to Instagram. We're going to go live on Instagram. We're going to go live on Facebook here and there. You know, that's where you'll probably get the video content from us is when we do short little lives like that. And, you know, for the most part, we'll be podcast other than that and, you know, share short stuff here and there. Um, whether it's on YouTube or wherever else. This is a tasty, tasty joint. I'm not going to lie. Nine pounds. Thanks, Lucky Devil. Not bad, you guys. Oh, yeah. Make sure we don't canoe this big, big bed, baby. So just like George and I were talking about, make sure you tamp that cherry at the top right just gently right after right after getting it going try to encourage the whole cherry all the way around to behave itself and the joints start pulling properly i like to roll the joints gently a pre-roll gently 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 in your hand before you hit the put the fire to it also can help a lot So yeah, next up, probably the most important goal. We're going to raise awareness and raise funds for projects such as the Sentencing Project, NORML, the National Organization for Reform of Marijuana Laws, and others that support and actively seek the act at the end of mass incarceration in the United States, particularly for nonviolent drug offenders. In support of that prior goal, uh, we're also going to support and raise awareness for national movements to legalize and reschedule cannabis and hemp in all their varieties, wherever we see it. So we'll monitor those news stories, we'll promote them, we'll talk about them, and we'll share information with all of you on how to participate, how to get active All right, um, next, uh, almost done, we're going to continue to create more robust episode notes for each podcast um, for your reference purposes and as a jumping off point for your own explorations, the topics we talk about on the show. Finally, we're going to do all of that. We're going to pursue all those goals while respecting our guests, respecting you, the audience, respecting my loving family who supports me and helps me do this podcast week in and week out. Um, yeah, so there you go. So those are our, those are our little goals. And um, to put a little, put a little extra stank on it, I want to share my Baked and Awake mini-festo, which is not super eloquently written, but maybe we'll expand upon this in time or polish it a bit. But basically, where, I, where I'm going with this is the world I would like to live in and the, the, that this podcast is going to support and work towards is a world that would provide robust access to medical cannabis for patients in need, of which there are millions. This world of mine, of ours, would also formally invest in heavy mainstream research into applications by Western medical minds for the plant. 
in parentheses I have here, don't fear it. It's happening whether we like it or not. So let's let's see what we can learn. Let's learn it together, transparently, rapidly. Finally, this world will have decriminalized and destigmatized or rehabilitated the adult casual cannabis user as a normal member of society. One, in fact, is recognizably more safe, productive, and healthy to be or be around than, say, for example, heavy lifelong users of tobacco or alcohol. So that's our little baked in awake mini festo coming into 2018, trying to, you know, do that mission statement thing a little bit. Yeah. Uh, brief reminder here, you know, wrapping up our intro commentary and pitches. Um, we do have a Patreon page. I don't want to sweat you guys about the Patreon page. It's not a big deal. I can pay my own hosting costs and stuff for the time being. I'm not a rich guy or anything like that, but we're doing this. I'm doing this. Nobody asked me to do this. But the Patreon page is there. There's a cool Discord server there that um, gets you access to, like, a chat forum and, and everything that uh, is just for us, for podcast for the Baked and Awake podcast fans. Um, I'm presently making that completely, you know, wide open, available, um, it's not behind a paywall or, you know, you don't have to become a patron of mine and pay a dollar an episode or a dollar a month or anything like that to get access to the Discord server right now. We're just trying to to create some community around the show. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash baked and awake show. Okay, and you can check that out. There are thank you gifts for patrons, including some stickers, for the first of which um, I've just ordered some uh, stickers to come that are going to be thank you gifts to some of my first patrons, along with some exclusive content that we're going to make just for those folks as well. And uh, that's not, you know, any form of trickery. I'm going to get off the Patreon tip for now because I'm much more excited about the next thing that I want to tell you guys about. And sorry, Patreon, it's just, you know, uh, every every podcaster has to work, you know, figure out their, their Patreon pitch and their Patreon value proposition for their patrons as well. So, you know, maybe as I continue to get better at this and, and you know, faster and stronger and at everything, you know, there'll be more and more there. But I'm excited about my Tee Public storefront, you guys. It is so cool. Okay. You've heard of them. Some of the bigger podcasts, the cooler podcasts, have been doing this shit for a while. Well, I figured it out. I went to PodCon, saw the Tee Public guys, you know, realized, what am I doing? You know, people do this all the time. You get you get uh, these folks and you upload your own designs to their storefront. It's your storefront. And you've got control over what you, are, you know, offer or don't offer. They've got... They've got the stickers, they've got the t-shirts, they've got t-shirts in a number of different types, soft, extra soft, cozy ones, and women's tees, and uh, there's uh, everything from totes to coffee mugs to cell phone cases, uh, I mean, you name it, and... and uh, so a few of the designs that I've been getting recently from my great, great friends, uh, T. Sealand down at Crimson Graphics in Auburn, Washington. My boy Robbo, a.k.a. Zeos, a local graffiti writing legend from here in the Pacific Northwest area from the Seattle community. Um, you know, I'm excited about this. I've got these designs from these dudes. They really hooked it up. I've got um, several loaded into the store now, and um, I'll continue to tweak uh, those designs and add more in the coming days. Uh, and add more colors. There's loads of colors for things like the t-shirts that you can choose from. Hoodies, baseball tees, you name it. Um, and, you know, you, you at the Tee Public store, you know, you order that product. I get a small cut uh, from every sale that you guys make. A couple few bucks here and there. And, you know, you've got something that you keep then. You can rep the podcast to to other folks you can help spread the word about the podcast for us and and just get the word out about baked and awake and about responsible responsible cannabis use and you know a little bit of cannabis education and some great great stories about really weird shit 
after we get good and stoned. You know the drill. You know what's up. Go scoop a t-shirt. Rep that baked and awake for me in your stand-up meeting. You know? Um, it would be great. It would be great. You know, show me show me on, on social media that you're wearing our t-shirt and, man, you'll, you'll see me do a backflip. Um, it's awesome. It would be it would be great. So, T Public Store, super excited about it. It's right there. You can find me tpublic.com forward slash user forward slash baked and awake. Pretty sure if you just search baked and awake once you get on to T Public, you'll find me pretty quickly. So, by the way, and this is the last pitch. If you have been listening, but perhaps have been lollygagging a little bit haven't managed to do this yet please 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 review us favorably on itunes or whatever wherever whatever community you're part of and i think podbean has some fun stuff soundcloud might have some fun stuff but don't do a lot on soundcloud just use it as a discovery platform opportunity but but man that itunes review is almost as good as money it really is and it definitely puts a smile on our face uh, just as surely as ordering any t-shirt or joining us as a patron on Patreon. So that's it for the pitches of all sorts. Um, love you guys. Appreciate you guys listening. Now, I'm happy to report my joint has settled down beautifully and is burning nice and evenly. And we're going to get into this news here. So... A lot of you might know that on January 1st, at the turn of the new year, beautiful state of California went fully legal for recreational cannabis, marking the birth of what should be the largest legal cannabis market in North America, perhaps the world, in very short order. Uh, California's had a robust medical seen for many years and they actually resisted legalizing just a little bit as they didn't want to do it wrong and they watched closely and carefully as Washington and Oregon and a couple of the other early adopter states snuck in under the buzzer ahead of them went ahead and implemented before they went ahead and got ready to roll their program out it's not perfect yet I understand there's a lot of places where there's, you know, a lack of retail outlets ready to go. But I guarantee you California is going to sort this out. That we do not need to worry on that point. Um, got a story here that I'm going to pull up. And we're going to, you know, pull a few paraphrases out of and, and see what we can learn about how things are going to be for the California casual recreational user as of right now. And, you know, here we are on January 7th. Some of you might already be able to tell me how it's going for you down there. Um, but for the rest of us and for those of you who still are, you know, eyeballing the whole thing, let's see what we can see. So, this article is from fortune.com. Okay, we're using some mainstream sources today, for sure, on this, because this is big news. Golden State Tokers rejoice. Uh, this is by Tom Huddleston Jr., by the way, Huddleston Jr., December 28th, he posted this. Golden State Tokers rejoice. The biggest legal recreational marijuana market in America is finally ready to open its doors. It's been more than a year since California voted to legalize adult-use cannabis sales in the country's most populous state by passing Proposition 64. But actual legal recreational weed sales have been on hold while state lawmakers decided on the regulatory framework for the new legal market. While medical marijuana has been legal in California for two decades, accounting for roughly $2 billion in annual sales, state residents must wait until January 2018 before they're able to legally buy marijuana in California without a doctor's approval. California will soon join states like Colorado, Oregon, and Nevada that have already expanded into adult-use marijuana markets. 
In total, seven states and the District of Columbia have legalized recreational marijuana. In some of those states, eager consumers celebrated the first day of legal recreational pot sales by lining up at their local dispensaries in order to be among the first to participate in the newly legal marijuana economy. Here's the good part. Here's what you need to know about the start of legal recreational marijuana sales in California. When and where can you buy recreational marijuana in California? Well, California's new recreational marijuana laws go into effect on January 1st, 2018, but that doesn't mean you'll be able to go straight from your New Year's Eve party to a local dispensary. First of all, state rules dictate the cannabis will not be sold until 6 a.m. or after 10 p.m. While the state's Bureau of Cannabis Control is issuing temporary licenses to dispensaries this month that will be effective starting January 1st, it remains to be seen exactly how many California dispensaries will be eligible for those licenses from the get-go. Some of the roughly 1,000 existing medical marijuana dispensaries statewide, which also must apply for new state licenses, are likely to be among the first to land new licenses for both medical and recreational cannabis sales. But entrepreneurs hoping to land their own licenses will also have to make sure that they have the approval of their local county or municipality. And the Los Angeles Times notes that most of the cities in California have still not approved recreational marijuana sales. The San Diego Union-Tribune puts the number of California cities and counties that have banned either the sale or cultivation of cannabis at higher than 70%. You can't stop these guys. Don't give me this. <laughs> Let's see. Leafly, a Yelp-like website for the legal cannabis industry, has a list of California cities in which legal recreational marijuana will soon be going on sale. Though the site notes that not all dispensaries are likely to be fully licensed by January 1st. So, let's see. What are the actual laws, right? Here they say, for the most part, California regulators followed the path of legal frameworks from other states where illegal recreational pots are already sold. For instance, you got to be 21 years old to buy legal cannabis. You can't just smoke it anywhere. Punk. For the most part, any public space where you're unable to smoke a cigarette will also be off-limits for sparking a joint, while it'll also be illegal to consume while in an automobile. Meanwhile, for business owners, marijuana dispensaries and other similar businesses in the state will continue to not be allowed to operate within 600 feet of any school, and they will need to maintain 24-hour surveillance for security reasons. Uh, working on banking. They haven't figured it out yet either. That's that federal issue fucking us up, even in California. All right. Um, and uh, apparently they voted against allowing cannabis businesses to deliver their products via drone. Craziness already. California, come on, you guys. Chill the fuck out. All right. Uh, also, starting in January, California will introduce a 15% state excise tax on every purchase of a cannabis product with additional state and local taxes tacked on some customers could expect to pay an effective tax rate of 45% on each purchase of adult-use marijuana. In parentheses, for what it's worth, Colorado also has a 15% state excise tax, and other states levy higher sales taxes as well. Washington, Oregon, absolutely. It's all part of California's plan to eventually collect an estimated $1 billion in annual tax revenue from the legal adult-use marijuana industry. Totally achievable. Totally achievable number probably be bigger than that honestly um yeah so basically you know i just want to say the california market is going to be absolutely enormous the california market is going to be incredibly influential um in terms of thought leadership and uh legislation leadership um throughout the rest of the United States and the effects will be felt more quickly than people could possibly think when it comes to something like this. So that leads us into our next story because almost before the celebrations were over in California, 
Oh, we're going legal. Three days later, to be exact. Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the fifth, or whatever the fuck his name is. I think he's the Attorney General, right? He rescinded the famous and influential Obama era coal memorandum. Okay, links in show notes. Uh, which gently but famously advised the then Obama administration to forego applying any federal funds or resources, human or otherwise, to pursuing cases against states or business entities in good standing within states that had moved to implement or were working under the auspices of a legally implemented medical or recreational cannabis industry. So this announcement by the Sessions Attorney General's Office, the famously hardline anti-drug lawmaker is what I had written here for myself. Um, they have got many nascent weed industry individuals, leadership people, feeling suddenly very nervous about the future of their exciting and seemingly very profitable new enterprise. Perhaps perhaps most prominently, um, one reaction came from the chairman of Alaska's cannabis board, who up and resigned his job, specifically and immediately, pretty much the same day, over this change in policy. Um, from the Trump administration. Because let's face it, Sessions is more or less a cabinet. He's a cabinet member. So this is Trump administration sort of related shit here. Um, you know, however good standing or bad standing we think Sessions is or isn't um, in Trump with Trump. So anyway, this is a big deal. I mean, it's on your Facebook feeds, you know, if you're a cannabis uh, professional or a cannabis aficionado. It's, uh, it's showing up in your Twitter uh, feed. It's showing up. You know, it's literally a trending topic, so it's literally showing up whether you're looking for it or not on on these social medias. You're seeing it uh, all over Instagram. Every account that I follow that's a cannabis-related uh, account, whether it's a cannabis humor account or a hard news account or an industry business account of some kind, somebody's posted either a casual post about it or in-depth, you know, either what the fucks or chill-outs about it. And that's what I want to talk about. with this next and, and this is this is where I want to go with this as soon as I saw this story I saw it as a distraction I saw this story as something that we should you know pay only the slightest bit of attention to and there's very very good reasons why I say that because as as the you know whatever cliche you want to apply to this uh, the barn door is already open uh, so this cow's out to pasture um, the you know, the milk is already spilled here, okay? Um, we are talking about a industry that was just described in that last uh, article it, with uh, California as literally being able to... They, they, they were doing $2 billion a year in medical sales. They're looking for a billion dollars a year in excise tax from California, which I stipulate will be more than that in short order, and here's why. Um, Washington State last year did incredible numbers. Um, our legal cannabis industry, and I'm going to take a quick peek at 502data.com on their overview page. Okay. Um, last year, Let's see here. Is this a total number or is this a last year number? I'm going to expand this page real quick. Yeah. All right. In 2017, Washington State, this is a state of like 7.2 million people, by the way. Um, we collected $281 million in excise tax in 2017. Uh, since the market opened in Washington in 2014, state of 7 million people. In a state where we have our own blackout areas and zones, counties, entire counties that are more or less cannabis dry, um, we've t taken in six hundred eighty-two million dollars in uh, 
excise tax. Uh, we've sold 1.8 billion already in cannabis total. 764 million in 2017, 696 million in 2016. Okay, we'll jump out of Washington here. What happened in Oregon in the last year or so? Let's peek at a little story we have here from OregonLive.com with some highlights. This is Oregon Live, the Oregonian. This is October 6th of this past year. And uh, Noel Crombie is reporting on Oregon having paid out $85 million in pot taxes to school, to school, to a school fund, to cops, and to other services. It says here the checks are in the mail. That's the message the Oregon Department of Revenue sent Friday when it announced it'll pay out $85 million in marijuana taxes for schools, public health, police, and local governments by next week. The payouts represent the first distributions of state marijuana tax revenues since Oregon opened its legal recreational cannabis market. Oregon collected a total of $108.6 million in state and local taxes between January 4, 2016 and August 31, 2017. They then put... $9.56 million towards Oregon Liquor Control Commission's startup costs for regulating the industry and toward the Department of Revenue's work to collect the taxes. Nice. The tax collectors get their cut first, as is only appropriate. Uh, the rest divided up according to a formula spelled out by law. The state school fund gets 40% or $34 million. Mental health, alcoholism, and drug services get 20% or $17 million. Oregon State Police get 15% or $12.75 million. And the Oregon Health Authority gets 5%, which comes to $4.25 million. Uh, so, yeah, you know, that's a one-and-a-half-year-old market there. Uh, so fair to say that's, you know, really gonna help a lot with Oregon's bottom line. Oregon, by the way, is a state of about 4.1 or 4.2 million people. Um, so really they have a, just as a robust, uh, cannabis, uh, economy, uh, I would say for their population as, uh, nearly as Washington state does, um, uh, with the numbers that they're posting and, you know, again, without getting too deep into an analysis here, I'll project that that will continue to go up for some time before it begins to level out as what we'll see is, and by the way, we're already in 29 states with at least medical cannabis, okay? Seven or eight now with recreational, if you count D.C. So 29 out of 50 states are doing something with cannabis here. This is not a situation that we need to worry about the Justice Department or the DEA or the ATF or anybody else suddenly trying to shut down, whether it's California's market, Washington's market, Oregon's, Alaska's, Nevada's, Massachusetts, anywhere in the country where they're trying to get something off the ground. This is only going to, in my opinion, um, further efforts on all sides and all fronts to take action that more strongly protect these markets because they're important to the states that they're in. And uh, they're amongst the biggest industries in the respective states that they're in. Um, and we're seeing great things happen, including things like this story in the Oregonian delineating where the resources from the taxes go right away into the local communities and the state's infrastructures. Um, we're not done, though. What's up in Colorado? Our good friends in Colorado, they're busy. They've been busy. What's their market like? You already know. It's real good. Looking at a little story from The Cannabis. And uh, this is a classy looking little 
cannabis blog. I've seen it a few times. I haven't looked at it too, too much. So, um, but got a good look to them. They, they, they have quite a bit of content, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So Colorado 2017, uh, marijuana sales reached $1 billion in just eight months. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is October 11th. They posted this. This is Alicia Wallace, the cannabis staff. Uh, legal marijuana is a bona fide billion dollar industry in Colorado. And it's hitting the mark faster than ever. In 2017, Colorado eclipsed $1 billion in marijuana sales in eight months. In 2016, it took 10 months. Colorado's, I'm mostly done with this, this, this joint, by the way. Colorado's marijuana retailers logged upwards of $1.02 billion in collective medical and recreational sales through August, according to the cannabis extrapolation of state tax data released Wednesday. Year-to-date sales are up 21% from the first eight months of 2016, when recreational and medical marijuana sales totaled $846.5 million. Uh, the year's cumulative sales equate to more than $162 million in taxes and fees for Colorado coffers. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think we need to read too, too much. Yeah, here we go. Here's a look at Colorado's previous cumulative yearly sales totals. 2014, they did $699 million and change. In 2015... $996 million and change. And in 2016, $1.3 billion. So I happen to know Colorado did major payouts to uh, similar you know, infrastructures, funds, and uh, departments, and organizations, and blahgity-blahs, um, from police to education to anti-drug to health care, etc., uh, in that state. Starting in 2014, I think when they when they launched this thing. Um, you know, just like everything, linked to the story will be in the in the show notes. And uh, we're we're gonna stay at the cannabis, but go to a different story to uh, sort of sum up the analysis here um, in terms of again why we think this is. In my opinion, maybe maybe the best thing that could have happened. Seriously. Um, so let's see here. Again at the Cannabis, and this is an opinion piece, um, just written on the fifth, just a couple of days ago. But you know, this, this uh, individual seems to be in a similar headspace to me on this, and this is by Paul Waldman, um, special to the Washington Post. So this is maybe a repost from the Washington Post. I'm not sure. He says here, Jeff Sessions hates marijuana, hates it with a passion that has animated almost nothing else in his career. Quote, good people don't smoke marijuana, he has said. He even once said about the Ku Klux Klan, quote, I thought those guys were okay until I learned they smoked pot. He says that was a joke, but even so, it still says something about where he's coming from. So if you're wondering why Sessions has endured the humiliation of being demeaned and abused by President Donald Trump and stayed on as Attorney General, one big answer is the policy change he announced this week, rescinding the Obama-era directive then instructed federal prosecutors not to prioritize prosecuting businesses like dispensaries in states that had legalized cannabis. Sessions is finally getting the chance to lock up all those hippies with their pot smoking and their free love and their wah-wah pedals and everything immoral they represent. He'll show them. So what happens now? The emerging legal picture is murky, since a lot depends on the individual decisions federal prosecutors will make. The political picture is somewhat clearer. This is bad news for Republicans. 
He goes on. Let's start with the legal questions. The 2013 Obama administration letter that Sessions rescinded, called the Cole Memo, told federal prosecutors that in states that had legalized marijuana, they should use their prosecutorial discretion to focus not on businesses that comply with state regulations, but on illicit enterprises that create harms like selling drugs to children operating with criminal gangs selling across state lines, so on. In other words, prosecutors could still fight the drug trade, but if a state had legalized marijuana and put in place its own regulatory system, they should leave those operating within that system alone. There's also a provision in the federal budget known as the Rohrbacher Farr Amendment. That's the old name for it. Now it's known as the Rohrbacher Blumenauer Amendment or the new co-signer, co-sponsor of this bill. It's been reintroduced. Uh, that forbids the Justice Department from using any resources to interfere with the provision of medical marijuana in states that have legalized it. Right now, there are 29 states that have put in place some kind of medical marijuana system, in addition to the eight states, plus Washington, D.C., so that would make it nine, that have either legalized possession of small amounts of marijuana or set up a regulated system for the commercial sale of the drug. The most important is California, which as of the beginning of this year has legalized sales for recreational use. So, here he gets to it now, okay? So is every U.S. attorney in those eight states immediately going to start busting down the doors of marijuana dispensaries? Quote, I don't think so, says Tamar Todd, Senior Director of the Office of Legal Affairs at the Drug Policy Alliance, whom I spoke to this week. There's plenty of drug law to enforce when it comes to the illicit market, she noted. And federal prosecutors rely on cooperation with state authorities in much of their prosecution of drug cases. Going after state-licensed dispensaries or grow operations, furthermore, would leave federal prosecutors isolated. In states with legal marijuana systems, such a crackdown would produce an outcry from both Democrats and Republicans, in addition to state government and law enforcement officials. Federal prosecutors, quote, lack the resources to go into California and enforce marijuana laws against everybody, so federal interests are really best served by them teaming up and working with the states. Todd says... Quote, not using their resources to disrupt how the states are trying to responsibly regulate, which is just going to cause more harm for everyone. Thank you. The voice of reason. Now, and he's right here, and this is true. This is going to be a state-to-state thing. There's states where this is going to be a shit show. Don't get me wrong. States with cruddy medical implementations that aren't well, you know, thought out and don't have a lot of support in the popular culture in, in their respective areas. You know, and you know where I'm talking about, Rust Belt, Bible Belt, etc. states. These are, it's going to be tougher there for a long time to come, and it won't, it won't be solved overnight. But this is why this happened right after California went legal, in my opinion, everybody. Um, okay, so he's gonna, he says here, that doesn't mean that a motivated U.S. attorney, a Sessions mini-me, if you will, couldn't go on a crusade in his or her district and start prosecuting every marijuana operation in sight while the Obama administration policy lets states know they could craft their own regulations without fear of the feds coming in and wrecking everything they were trying to do, you know, without wrecking everything they were trying to do. Now there's much more uncertainty. Well, okay, is there? I say not that much more. It does open up the opportunity for a rogue U.S. attorney who's not about protecting the public but is more about an ideological opposition to legalization, Todd said, to prove that legalization doesn't work by creating chaos and disruption. Even if that doesn't happen or happens only here and there, the Trump administration has sent a clear message to the public that it wants to turn back the clock on our nation's drug laws. There's no doubt that Jeff Sessions is sincere in his desire to do so, but politically it could be a disaster. According to the latest Gallup poll, 64% of Americans favor legalization. I would agree. 
It's got to be somewhere in that range, if not higher, um, including a majority of Republicans. There could be a dozen more states considering some form of legalization this year, either in their legislatures or through ballot initiatives, which will only bring more attention to the issue and set people's own states against the administration. Okay, a dozen more states potentially in 2018. And I do believe this is, yeah, like one of those off-cycle big election years, right? You don't elect the president this year, but you elect a lot of, I think, the senators and stuff like that this year. So, um, yeah, so, you know, it says here that it puts the Republicans in a really awkward position, um... But, you know, that, that to me is very interesting as to how that'll play out, um, particularly if they come from a state. So talking about Republicans being put in a very awkward position by the current administration, particularly if they come from a state like Colorado, California, precisely the representatives who are going to be most vulnerable in this November's elections. Okay, there we go. Yeah. So many of them have released outrage statements condemning the decision, but it might not be enough to convince voters not to punish Trump by voting them out. A member like uh, Dana rep, rep, representative, Dana Rohrbacher, that's the, of the, on the Rohrbacher, uh, amend, uh, not amendment, but memo, whatever the hell the thing is, whose California district was won by Hillary Clinton in 2016, can cry to his constituents that he opposed the marijuana crackdown and the tax bill, which cut back their deduction for state and local taxes, and they might listen. But in a year of a Democratic wave, they might also just decide to sweep him out with the rest of the GOP. Okay, so, you know, that's their that's their plight right now, right? But these guys haven't really been treating us that great to begin with, so this is just a last in a long line of offenses. <laughs> but, yeah, coming for our weed now when we're over here just trying to get this thing going. Uh, that's all right, though. So they say here next... Um, so the end result of this policy could well be to accelerate the liberalization of the nation's marijuana laws. Now, now we're getting somewhere. A backlash could help more Democrats get elected and push elected Democrats to more unambiguously support legalization. Don't be surprised if every Democrat running for president in 2020 favors ending the federal prohibition on marijuana and returning the question to the states. One potential candidate, Senator Cory Booker, the New Jersey Democratic senator, uh, has already introduced a bill to do just that. Okay, so we've got that bill that I have heard of as well that we know of in place uh, or, uh, you know, on the floor or on its way, uh, which will set up an interesting dynamic in which Democrats are the ones arguing for pushing back against the heavy hand of federal power and letting states decide for themselves what they want to do. Interesting. True. But whatever. The traditional GOP position, I mean, in my opinion, give me a fucking break. That's the problem with Democrats and Republicans. Be less ideologically, you know, bound and be more aware, dynamic, and, you know, willing to be representative, thank you, of your constituencies. So, anyway, um, letting states decide for themselves what they want to do. The traditional GOP position on states' rights was always opportunistic something they favored only when states were doing something they agreed with. Okay? I, you know, Mr. Paul, whatever his name is, words, not mine, but could might as well have been. Uh, but that will just be one more reason why this is an issue Republicans want to run away from and Democrats are eager to talk about. So, he concludes, Jeff Sessions may get what he wants for now, but in the end, he probably did a great service to the legalization movement. And, um, yeah, I think he did a good job of stopping short of, you know, much more conjecture uh, than than he did, and there's not a lot there, and it's, it's good. Um, that was uh, Paul Waldman at The Cannabis. But, yeah, guys, you know, none of our markets are getting shut down. We need to be compliant. We need to pay our taxes. We need to dot our I's and cross our T's. We need to operate safely and keep the shit away from the kids and, uh, you know, show them year in and year out what a boon to the state's health, 
you know, financial infrastructure wise through the tax money, people's physical health through lower opioid use, uh, through lower instances of uh, drunk driving in uh, many instances. The indications are that there's not greater drunk driving in states with medical and recreational cannabis. It's that there's less, you know, go look. You'll see what I'm talking about with that. So, um, and there's a, a lot of other, I mean, we know, we know we got, we got time. We talk about that stuff all the time here. We, we know how good it is when you go legal in your state, what, what starts to happen. We need to get there with, uh, some of those, those last goals. So, um, and you know, this is my, my postscript to that story is that the cannabis did agree with me there, that, um, blog, and that we both believe this will only pave the way, this whole sessions hubbub for a meaningful and, you know, well, like whether it's well funded through super PACs or, um, through, you know, public awareness, well-funded in terms of public awareness, viral, social media awareness, etc. People's willingness, you know, uh, major independents like Bernie Sanders and others who want to, you know, Senator Brooker who uh, want to push things forward. I have a, a link here to a Colorado lawmaker, uh, another senator who's trying to, you know, make moves to protect the federal, their, well, their industry and by extension the rest of the country. Um. And that, that'll be here in the show notes as well. You know, people are going to instantly mobilize on this. They already are. They they already have. And so let's watch it together, you know, and see where that goes. So uh, that's my take on the Jeff Sessions cannabis hubbub. In California, congratulations. I'm really excited for the state the citizens and for the whole West coast and what it represents. So, uh, yeah. So I have a few stories that I'm going to read you the headlines of, and that's about it. I might make a comment on each of them. Um, but the links are in the show notes. So this is, you know, homework or whatever. Don't even do homework. Wait. And I'll probably be talking about these stories coming up in, you know, future episodes very soon. Um, but just cool stuff, so I'm calling this Stories to Watch. Um, and uh, this is a story that I don't know if I saw it before it sort of began to occur to me. I'm sure I saw it and then forgot about it, and then it occurred to me that I thought I thought this up myself, but it's total bullshit. I didn't come up with it. But I want to watch and I want to look at talking about the possibility of whether or not governments of the world or shadowy globalist cabals or whoever might engineer a major financial meltdown of some kind and then blame it on crypto. Okay. There's a story about it on a uh, weird little web blog called Before It's News. And uh, maybe you've heard of them. All right. And uh, then... There's a story about uh, most phones and computers today, including probably the one I'm sitting here using right now to do everything <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, they're wide open to security vulnerabilities like we didn't already even know about. Worse than ever. Um, so look for that and more on that and what comes from it soon. Next, uh, and this is almost feels like a footnote anymore, um, but uh, we should actually, it could potentially be one of the scariest things of all. A generalized AI um, from Google's Alpha Laboratories, a AlphaGo uh, derivative called AlphaZero, Chess AI, uh, learned the game of chess in four hours from a set of instructions with no examples. See, and here's my commentary. No examples from outside players, no video or anything or recorded games what have you, taught itself the game by playing against itself. In four hours, it challenged the reigning chess champion AI computer um, from, I'm not sure whom, um, but it's in the uh, article, the link's in the notes, uh, whooped its ass in like a hundred and something rounds, 
beat it 28 times or more and draw, you know, uh, played it to a draw another 70 something times and never lost. And I guess that, you know, more or less is a convincing, uh, uh, victory over it did. So demonstrating techniques that have never been seen before in the history of the game of chess. And this is a generalized AI, you guys. So here's my commentary about that Alpha Zero and other AIs like it, like the Siri that's listening to my voice right now on my phone, the mic on our laptop sitting right in front of me here, both of which are connected to the, you know, broadband internet um, 24-7, probably whether I know they're turned on or not. Uh, what happens if the next game they want to teach Alpha Zero is, you know, um, hydroelectric power station or major metropolitan uh, traffic, you know, control, street traffic, what have you. Um, I posit that it'll learn those games based on rule sets very rapidly, equally rapidly to something like chess, demonstrate incredible facility in executing on those games uh, in such a way that, you know, my personal prediction is we're going to be looking at systems like that, doing things like that for our, you know, major cities and central, you know, government infrastructures, if they aren't beginning to already, uh, you know, I don't, I was going to say in the next five years, but I'm going to bring that in. I'm going to say the next year or two, the next year, somebody's doing it somewhere. Somebody's doing it right now, Dubai, smart cities, etc., wherever they're being implemented. So there's, there's a lot there. There's a link there to that story. I guess I am still excited about that story. All right, next quick headline. The FCC moves to redefine what broadband is already in the wake of the last month's net neutrality flap that, you know, is probably still a disaster that has yet to unfold itself on all of us. Um, basically, the, you know, the FCC already wants to redefine what broadband is and, and call it something even slower with lower standards for download and upload minimum speeds. Uh, you know, long and the short of it is if you're already in a shitty part of the country where you're getting shitty parts of fucking the internet at shitty slow speeds, uh, that shit's going to stay shitty for a lot longer if the FCC has anything to say about it because by redefining what they call broadband, they can further slow down any, uh, you know, compulsion on their part to speed up and bring uh, appropriate broadband internet, quote-unquote, services to, you know, this is the utility side of this telecommunications thing, um, you know, to everybody. You know, it's supposed to be egalitarian. It's supposed to be, uh, you know, acquirable it's, or, you know, ubiquitous, excuse me, uh, and available. Um, and of a certain level of quality so that we can, you know, remain smart people who are connected to the Internet being smart. <laughs> uh, so anyway, look for that. <clears throat> and uh, the last story, story to watch, and I haven't even looked into this shit yet, but I'm seeing stories about Trump about to pardon Julian Assange of WikiLeaks fame. What's that about? What? You know, somebody already floats comments. You know, you see the comments under the stories, and they're like, oh, so Assange won't be able to expose Trump? You know, um, and I think Assange has a lot of uh, a lot of stuff on the Clintons, and the Clinton Foundation is what it seems like has been, you know, one of the biggest, uh, well, the most recent dump, right, was the, was the email dump from those guys. So that's a big story. All right. So that's it for stories to watch. Uh, we're almost done. We're hitting about an hour right now, but that's all right because we got extra time. I know you got extra time. I got extra time. We got like five more minutes of uh, shenanigans. <laughs> uh, I want to share a couple of uh, pods of the week. So that's that's pretty much the content you know for the week. And and watch those stories, those news stories, and talk to me about them on social media and get ready to look at us coming back and revisiting those in future episodes here, especially as these stories develop. 
and get fleshed out. You know, we're going to talk about uh, those uh, To the Stars uh, kids again soon, too. Uh, to the Stars Academy, Tom DeLong and them. But anyway, podcast of the week I want to share with you, just some podcasts I've been listening to, and uh, links will be in the show notes for you. The Rogue Muslim Podcast is the first one I would like to mention uh, today, and uh, what I'd like to, sh- you know, kind of share thoughts-wise on them is, you know, it's intelligent talk about, about I guess, being Muslim in America today, right now, in 2017, 2018, Um it is a rare opportunity, in my opinion, to, like, sit, you know, as podcasts make you feel like you're sitting together with them and feel connected to well-spoken, thoughtful, young, Muslim, mostly women on the show, I, um, that I've, the episodes I've heard so far, um, who are, but they're, they are themselves earnestly seeking meaningful dialogue, okay, with both members of their, you know, fellow members of their faith and non-Muslims alike. Um, really strong conversation going on there on, on that front. So amazing podcast, the rogue Muslim, and, uh, you can find them in iTunes. Um, I've got a link here for you for them. The next one is the come to the table podcast. So, um, this is a show from pastor Sean McCoy. Uh, he's a uh, father and a pastor in the Midwest. He, in my opinion, is uh, single-handedly rehabilitating modern, I guess, I don't even know if he would, you know, fairly characterize himself as an evangelical Christian. I think, I think that's the, you know, side, the leanings, uh, uh, that he's part of anyway, but his audience is diverse and his show is really exciting and, uh, awesome to listen to. They talk about race. They talk about gender issues. Obviously they talk about spirituality they talk about the challenges of keeping their strong faith in the modern world, you know, that we're all a part of. Um, and uh, it's just a great, you know, all that stuff and more is, is the stuff that they're talking about over there on that podcast. Uh, I really think it's a lot of fun. And as I pointed out to some other friends that I was recommending that podcast to, it's easier than going to church. Um Last but not least, Guilty Pleasure, true crime podcast that I just discovered that um, is going to be hard not to binge really badly on, uh, the Unpopular Culture podcast. So uh, I would say of these guys, brilliant analysis of true crime stories that you thought you'd heard everything you already needed to know about. Um, The host... His name is Michael Drain. He's a licensed psychotherapist. And as he says, he has a background in forensics. So he's basically, as far as I'm concerned, some version of like a profiler. So uh, really good. I listened to his episode on the Slenderman killings. And, the, uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, his analysis of the, you know, where's and why fours of, and it wasn't even a killing. It was the attempted murder of the, uh, young, uh, lady, the 12 year old girl, um, by her two friends in the woods. And if you're not familiar with this story, this happened in the, uh, late nineties. And, uh, one of these girls is still, uh, in a mental hospital to this day. Um, and I think her sentence was increased recently to very long. Uh, anyway, incredible story uh, and incredible analysis. And then they had a bunch of nine nine one one phone call uh, recording uh, footage in this uh, particular podcast episode and interview police interview uh, audio that really added a lot to that podcast episode. So obviously, loving that. Uh, it's called Unpopular Culture Podcast. So check them out as well. Um, you'll like it. If you like that true crime shit that I like so much. All right. And yeah, um, yeah, I already mentioned to you guys, I smoked that nine pound hammer joint and it was awesome. Um, that was from Lucky Devil Cannabis. And I think they're from Tacoma, not far from our grow uh, down there, but I got it from Urban Bud down in Tacoma. So thank you. I think that was Alondra who got that for me that day. Thank you for uh, the help as always down there. 
Uh, if you live in Western Washington, I do want to mention, by the way, if you're listening to me and you're here in Seattle and you want to join me in person to network and connect with other cannabis industry professionals, you can join me and a bunch of friends next Wednesday in Georgetown, in the Georgetown neighborhood of Seattle, for a monthly gathering. Uh, I run a meetup group called Cannabis Influencers Northwest. Link will be in the show notes, as always. We're a new and, in my opinion, very exciting cannabis-focused group, um, industry-focused uh, group, whether you're producer, processor, retailer, ancillary business, solutions provider, what have you. Um, we have, we're over 40 members already, and uh, we have more and more folks show up for each meetup uh, each month. And we're not, we're not getting 40 show up for each meetup, um, but uh, last month's attendance was good, and this month's RSVPs are looking uh, better. Uh, you can find us on Meetup as Cannabis Influencers Northwest, or you can gate crash the meeting next Wednesday at 6 o'clock or later at Counterbalance Brewing in Seattle. Um, all right. And then, yeah. All right. So pull my little popper over here. Let's see if we can make it work. Yes. Happy new year, everybody. Thank you for making it all the way through episode one of season two, the baked and awake podcast. And, uh, I want to leave you with one last, uh, kind of holiday minded, Happy New Year-minded resolution type uh, thought, and that is this. It's a suggestion, something to try, maybe. Set a big, huge, scary goal for yourself. That's step one. Step two, start working towards it right away. Step three, tell no one. Step four, achieve said big, huge, scary goal. Step five, tell no one. Step six, profit. worth a shot anyway all right and as always i leave you with my obligatory and possibly slightly annoying tagline smoke indica do shit anyway